Assalamu alaikum and welcome to a special episode of TMV Podcast brought to you by The Muslim Vibe. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Salim Qasem, and I'm joined this week by uh, the co-founder of The Muslim Vibe. We're blessed to be joined by him, Haseeb Rizvi. Don't do that, Salim. Why not? <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm just a guy. You don't need to... He's just a guy. We, we barely hear from Haseeb uh, on the podcast. Assalamu alaikum, listeners. How are you? <laughs> you, you might be listening to more of me soon, actually. Uh, we're going to be doing some new podcasts in the coming weeks, months. Yeah. yeah. Well, let, let's, let's get down to business. So this week, we're... Um, very lucky to to be joined by uh, sister Marzia Hashmi um, who as you guys know uh, was detained or maybe don't know or, or don't know um, so she's a do you want to do you want to actually tell them about this so sister Marzia Hashmi is a black American journalist uh, she lives in Iran works for press TV um, and just about two weeks ago uh, on a flight in the United States, domestic flight in the United States, uh, she was uh, detained and taken away by the FBI um, as a material witness. And uh, in the podcast, we'll get into what that actually means. Uh, but essentially, she was detained for 10 days um, and, uh, you know, f- at some points in her detention was forced to remove a hijab. Um, quite, quite like, you know, dramatic things. Um, and so there was like a campaign essentially that started um, across America and the and the, and the UK too, uh, with the hashtag Free Marzia Hashimi. Um, but which, Alhamdulillah, which we pushed like, out and supported on our yeah, platform. Yeah. And I think so. I think, if you're following us on Instagram, you would have seen about it. Um, but Alhamdulillah, she was released um, just a few days ago, and um, yeah, we speak to her in this podcast. Assalamu alaikum, Sister Marzia. Alaikum salam. It's my pleasure being with you all. So firstly, obviously, I'm going to ask, how are you? How is, uh, how's it been since you've been released? Obviously, I'm guessing you've been quite busy with interviews and I'm sure you've been like spending a lot of time with your family and everything. But yeah, just, just for the benefit of our listeners, really. Uh, yes, well, definitely doing uh, much better and getting better every day. And it's been in a, just really good being with my kids and grandkids and, of course, uh, because they have gone through so much uh, in the middle of all of this and um, dealing with the unknown and not knowing what I was going through. So it's definitely uh, very good to be back together. I think from from, from the outset, um, what's quite confusing almost is that having read the reports as, as things were progressing in your case, I personally still don't entirely know what happened. Um, I was wondering if you were able to kind of shed some light on on what actually transpired and, and I guess briefly summarizing the, the, the case or the incident, so to speak. Um, we want to know the particular, like as far as the arrest itself? Yeah, as in, as in why, okay. why you were arrested and held and everything else. Okay. So the why I was arrested is still a very good question. I mean, I, I, they said that I was a material witness. Um, and, and my argument after being kidnapped and shackled and and taken from one city to another city by the FBI um, was basically if there was something that you wanted me to say or talk or you wanted to ask me, um, why didn't you just come and ask? Or you could have subpoenaed me. Um, why did you deem it necessary to arrest me like a common criminal and in some cases treat me far worse than a common criminal? Yeah. And uh, I was never charged with anything. Uh, so, uh, if you want, I don't know if you want, a, uh, um, just a rerun of what exactly took place, but, uh, I was arrested in St. Louis. I was, uh, uh, about to board a flight to Denver where my kids are. 
I had been filming in St. Louis and finishing up a documentary. Um, I was waiting at the uh, the uh, gate, and my name was called. I went up to the desk, and the lady said, you've been selected for pre-boarding, which I had never heard of. And uh, I went um, inside in the quarter, and when I turned, there the FBI agent standing there and said that um, that I was going to come with them. They're FBI, you're coming with us. And I said, am I under arrest? And they said, yes. And uh, start putting the handcuffs on. My son was with me, Reza. And I said, is he under arrest? And they said, no. And I yelled back at him because I was being taken by that time. And just get on the plane and go to Denver, which that didn't happen either. Even though he wasn't arrested, the FBI were with him, stayed with him, kept him in the hotel that night, and then took him to Washington also the next day. So uh, there was just a lot of confusion. I mean, on my part, it's like, what is going on? Um, I was flown to Washington the next day, uh, taken to FBI headquarters. That's when um, that was when I was hearing about the material witness uh, part of it, and um, that I had to be uh, processed there. And that they said I had to give a DNA sample, which I heavily protested. And why do you need my DNA? I'm not being charged with a crime. I'm not being booked. Um, I don't want to give my DNA. And it was back and forth. And I said, you have to, you have to, whatever, anyone coming through these doors or whatever, we take everyone's DNA. And I said, well, I'm against you taking my DNA. But they did take my DNA. Uh, and then I was transferred to uh, uh, the city jail <coughs> in shackles and um, just what can I say? I mean, the conditions of the jail, um, dark place, uh, obviously nothing. I mean, no bed, no, nothing like that. Um, and men and women in the same section, though not in the same cells, male guards, um, walking constantly, male and female guards walking constantly, um, just guarding the place and, uh, you know, toilet right there in the middle uh, where anyone passing could see or if there was a, other inmates on the other side could also see. Um, just a very, um, just a, well, in my perspective, deplorable conditions because, of course, one, I've never been in a jail. Two, as a Muslim woman and the whole aspect of modesty. So uh, I, was gonna, it's just, I was gonna actually ask you about that because I'm guessing like everything you've explained to us is, will sound so foreign and like scary to uh, most of our listeners and, and really wish that never anyone goes through that kind of experience. So I'm guessing Definitely. you must have been quite like traumatized and this must have had like, you know, you, were you scared at the time? Like w what was kind of like running through your mind when you first got like detained right. in like in the first 24 hours? You know, alhamdulillah, um, I was not scared at any point. I mean, and that's only because of Allah. I can definitely say that. It's interesting when we go through an experience or a shock, I think our bodies go into different modes. Mm. And for me, it was just, you know, um, just going deep and <clears throat> continually talking to Allah, at least in my head, and just thinking to myself, you know, I'm dealing with the Zalameen and... Uh, and, and just, you know, just keeping myself focused on whatever it was and um, not to break and um, just and, and continually remembering that ultimately everything is in Allah's hands. So, no, fortunately, I, I did not. I was not uh, scared. I was not afraid. But at the same time, I was thinking that anything can happen now. 
Mm. It's a range of possibilities. That that's really that's really inspiring to hear the strength you had. I don't. I wasn't expecting that response because I think if if I was in a similar situation, um, the outcome would probably be very different in terms of the impact it would have on me. You would have given your DNA. I I, I wouldn't have resisted any. <laughs> I would have just kind of gone all in. But how how did you? I, I mean, there was so much information coming out um, in activist circles about you being deprived halal food and things like that. How much of that is true? And and how able were you to kind of practice your faith um, and pray? and things like that in, in those circumstances. Right. I think the worst part of it for me, of course, was the um, taking off of my hijab. Um, that was the worst part. That was, was done... Was that throughout the ordeal uh, or, or just at a particular point? It was uh, <clears throat> city... When I went to city jail um, and for the booking process or the... I mean, I wasn't really booked or charged with a crime, but anyway, uh, still they they took a mug shot and fingerprints and all of that, and they told me that I had to remove my scarf, and I said, um, I don't. Um, I, I'm within my um, legal rights. It's uh, I, I'm a Muslim. I'm a practicing Muslim. There's religious freedom. I have the right to have on my hijab. Yeah. We went back and forth with that, and then they said, you know, absolutely not. You have to take it off for, for the mug shot. So then they took it and then they uh, took the picture and then they gave me back the scarf. But then when I went to the main prison, um, that was a whole different thing. And so, um, yes, I was um, made to take off my hijab. And then for a while I had a T-shirt that they allowed me to put over my head. And then even that, when I was walking in the hall, which was men and women in those that section, I couldn't wear it um, until I got back into the women's section. I could put the T-shirt back on my head because I, I was in short sleeves. The, the, um, it's like orange scrubs type of thing. And, um, and then a T-shirt on my head. So as far as being able to practice my um, religion, I mean, just praying is very difficult. I, I had no concept of time because there, was no, there were no clocks when I was in the cell locked up. I would ask some of the guards. And, you know, sometimes it would tell me whatever, um, trying to figure out Beble, uh, there were a couple of Muslims that were in that section that I tried to, you know, ask, um, one had no idea, didn't pray. Um, and the other said, you know, she thought it was in a certain direction or whatever. I tried to, there was a window, small window. So I was trying to see, um, when the light would come up, you know, which direction and trying to figure out things there. There's a chaplain who was responsible for Muslim affairs and everything. So they said that I would be able to actually get a scarf, get a hijab. I had to go through the chaplain. And this is after a couple of days that I finally got to see the chaplain. And um, um, I was asking him for, same, for different things. And I said, can you tell me the direction of qibla, prayer, prayer? Uh, that you know muslims pray and he said well i don't know the direction but i can tell you that god is everywhere and i'm like yes <laughs> thank you very much thank you very much yes that, that helps tremendously so um you know i did pray i did pray when i um, thought it was time to pray um i would uh, one funny thing happened actually in the middle of this because at one point they put me on the suicide watch and i'll talk about that in a second but <clears throat> And so when the guard was sitting right outside my door and then she, I, I heard her, I, I wasn't sure why she was sitting right outside my door at the time. And then I heard her talking to one of the prisoners and the prisoner said, oh yeah, she's crazy. She's definitely crazy. And I was thinking, because right before that, 
And because I had short sleeves on, I would take the sheet and I didn't have a scarf. I would take the sheet and wrap it around myself for prayer. Um, so she probably saw me, you know, thinking this crazy woman was grabbing the sheet and going up and down. And like, yeah, she's, she's definitely crazy. She's oh, definitely wow. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, and with the halal meat, um, when you enter the prison after being processed, they give all the prisoners, um, like a bologna sandwich <clears throat> and they gave it to me and I said, you know, I'm sorry, I can't eat that meat. Is it possible that you can give me um, even just even a piece of regular bread or whatever? Because by this time it had been all day. Uh, let's see. It had been a day and a half by the time I got to the that prison that I hadn't eaten. And so I just said, if you could just give me a piece of bread um, even or, you know, whatever you have. Uh, an apple would be great, but, you know, or something like that. And they said, they'll see what they could do. Um, there was nothing. I, I was given nothing that day. But then I think it was the next day, actually, one of the guards, actually, she gave me an apple, which I was uh, grateful for. It took a while for the <clears throat> meals to kick in, um, wow. as they call them, the halal, halal meals, um, which at the end, I didn't eat the meat anyway. Um, but the first meal I remember eating, um, I ate, it was, um, they had the frozen like broccoli and carrot vegetable type thing. So I was like, okay, you know, I have to get some kind of vitamins or something from somewhere, get some energy. And I put it in my mouth and it was still frozen. So things on that level, it was, uh, quite amazing. I think by the time the fifth day, um, came, I believe that, um, it was a little bit better. Um, they would give me peanut butter, for example. Oh, alhamdulillah. Uh, yes, or, or something like that. Favorite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, alhamdulillah. I mean, so like you know, your your experience, like from what you're describing it to be, is like you know, both at the same time, something that's quite like scary and then like you know, um, uh, so so out there. But at the same time, like from the stories you're telling us, there's been glimpses of like God throughout the whole experience and. Even, I guess, that conversation with the chaplain is somewhat profound, right? Um, so it's just, you know, like a constant uh, reminder. I think, like, a lot of our, like, followers and stuff, you know, we, we kind of were taking part in helping um, spread awareness and things like that. Um, but I think a lot of the, the you know, people were asking really and truly, what is this case about? Um, is that something that you can go into detail in? Is is and, and there's also the whole discussion about material witness and, and obviously how that's been misused by the FBI against Muslims and, and black uh, civil rights activists, you know. Um, maybe we can talk about that, maybe, perhaps? Sure. Well, about the case itself, I mean, of course, uh, the parts, there are parts of it. Uh, the case is sealed for the most part, which is always interesting. So they can kidnap you, they can uh, use the excuse of material witness, and then they can seal a case. I mean very convenient because <clears throat> then there's just so many things that you can't touch up on and you're not supposed to talk about. What I can say is that it has a lot to do with where I live, which is Iran, um, and uh, dealing with uh, my work. Um, I think more than anything, my own perspective and analysis is a campaign of intimidation. Um, as an American, as a journalist, and then choosing to live in Iran and trying uh, my best to represent alternative perspectives um, 
of uh, people who usually don't have a voice in the media, um, I think uh, that plays a very big role in all of this. Um, that much I can say. So um, this uh, issue of like the, the material witness um, law or whatever it is being misused. Now, a lot of our <laughs> British listeners won't have an idea about this, um, but it's something that we kind of looked into um, as your case emerged. And we were like trying to f- understand what it meant and, and how it's been misused in the past and stuff. So I guess just for like the benefit of our listeners, could you perhaps explain what that means and, and examples of like how it's been misused in the past? Right. Well, it's it's you know it's been a law for a while, but it it, it has been used more frequently since two thousand one, um, since nine eleven, and the majority of victims of this have been Muslims. Uh, so, and what they do, they can pick you up, they can arrest you wherever you are, and take you and hold you indefinitely. Um, uh, because you are a material witness, you have to address the grand jury. Um, and until they are satisfied, they can actually keep you. Uh, so it's 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 mind-boggling. Is there is, sorry? Just a quick question: Is there a limit? Because I saw somewhere that it was up, only up to forty-eight hours could they do this. Was that true? Because obviously you were held for a lot longer. I was held for ten days. So um, I what I to be honest, I mean, uh, I had not done a lot of research into the material witnessing prior to this happening, yeah. and since it's happened, I really haven't I haven't had a chance to do it. From what I understand, from what I understand is that um, that they can actually extend it um, as long as they want, but they have to give a reason, um, like after every so many days, that we have to continue it or extend it because of whatever, whatever. Um, so. <clears throat> it's 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 just this very big type law that they have put on the book to try to legitimize uh, something that is totally illegal in anyone's mind that you're going to take someone, pick them up off the streets. You can arrest them, um, but not charge them. Yeah. They're not charged with a crime and hold them. I mean, what is this? It's It's really mind boggling. I think it's interesting because we have similar laws in the UK um, with regards to the Terrorism Act where you can detain mm-hmm. someone and, and they, they keep expanding the laws by how many days you can detain someone without charging them, um, without without anything really. Um, and, and the scary thing is, especially for people like yourself, like us who kind of operate in that, in that Muslim slash journalism slash activism space, is that mm-hmm. at any moment someone can come knocking on the door and, and pick you up just because they don't like your narrative, for example. Um, sure. And I think that's what's what's quite quite scary. I don't want this to be too kind of dreary and, and dwelling on this kind of stuff. So I thought for the last uh, couple of minutes that we have with you, it would be good to also talk about the, the public response that you've had. Um, because we were involved in a small way in, in promoting the, the, the activists that were working, I think, pretty much around the clock to, to raise awareness about... Um, your 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 situation and and give updates and also try and you know galvanize support for protests uh, globally essentially. Um, I, I, did, were you aware of this when you were when you were imprisoned? Did you did you know and how no, how, how I, did you react? I, I I was not aware of anything happening outside. Um, there was just at one point in time, my court appointed lawyer. Um, he did say, you know. Um, it, it, we didn't want to, because the prosecutor actually had mentioned it in court, and then my lawyer reiterated <clears throat> that this they didn't want to, did not want news of this to get out. And so he told me, he said, 
you know, um, your kids have been <clears throat> talking to the press and they shouldn't have whatever. And I said, uh, well, whether they talk to the press or not, I mean, I am an immediate person. And if I go missing for a few days, I mean, it's going to get out. People are going to ask. Trust me on that. So he said, yes, it has gotten out. So I knew that something was going on, mm. but I did not, I had no idea. I had no idea until I came out. Um, the uh, just absolutely amazing response of people across the world. I uh, really, I'm so humbled and just was in awe of it all and the way it took off. And I think, though, that it shows just the possibilities of um, coming together and uh, making things happen. Um, I think, especially now with uh, with our young people, especially with social media savvy and knowing how to use it, and and organizing and doing it together can be very, very effective. And I really think that we should channel this energy and uh, and try to make strides in this way in improving the overall situation because we see the reading uh, the the you know the the lessening and lessening of. Uh, Muslim rights in so many parts of the world. And I think that once we can come together, as we saw with this campaign um, that uh, people initiated in trying to get me uh, freed, that we can make a difference. And I think, you know, up until this time, there's so much division, unfortunately, amongst Muslims in this community against that, that community or whatever, the elders and the youth, and just so much nonsense that we waste our time on yeah. and not not uh, concentrating on actually having some type of positive influence and trying to make changes and improving uh, the overall situation. But I think this shows that it can be done and it should be done and we definitely should do it. So I'm asking everyone who's come this far to stay on board and uh, I, I haven't really had a chance to think about anything, really. I'm just trying to, a semblance of normal uh, with my kids right now and trying to get to that point. But really, uh, for the future, inshallah, in the near future, looking at uh, different types of uh, actions that we can take on, different types of issues that we can address together as a global community. Definitely. And I think, like, um, a lot of what you said um like on on this side of it, <clears throat> obviously when it when it kind of uh, kicked off, essentially there's like you know the, the classic individuals that will always be involved in various like SOS crises when they happen in the Muslim yeah. community. And alhamdulillah, I feel like you know with a lot of experience over the last like five ten years, separately different individuals in their own you know areas of expertise. Um, and, and I guess like having various times that this has happened in the past, not necessarily by the FBI, but, you know, various different, you know, whether it's someone being arrested in Saudi Arabia, whatever it might be. Um, I feel like there's mm -hmm. like a maturity that we're reaching now um, as a Western Muslim community, which is that. Coordinating efforts. Yeah, it's, there's a lot more coordination. Yeah. There's a lot more respect to understand, that, okay, this person is more effective in this position. So maybe I don't mm -hmm. necessarily need to take the limelight or whatever it is. Um, so I feel like we are definitely uh, reaching into like a better space with this. Um, and I feel that that yes. was like uh, very well seen with the campaign uh, for you, as brief as it was. Um, and I was, I, we were prepared, and I remember telling Salim that okay, if she if she doesn't get released on Wednesday, this is getting turned into a campaign. And then obviously, once it's campaign mode, then we, you know we would have been taking a lot more kind of like steps and stuff. But Alhamdulillah, I feel like that's really good. I think um, what's really interesting, really, is that like you know. As, as a journalist and, and somewhat of an activist in the sense that you've given voice to people that are 
often um, not provided any sort of platform. And similarly, we're doing a, you know trying to do the same thing here with the Muslim vibe and trying to get Muslims to be able to kind of express their feelings and, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> what single, not, I guess I can't say a single piece of advice, but like what one thing could you say, especially like from this experience that you've had over the last uh, week or so, could you say to like, you know, the young, uh, passionate activists within the community that see oppression, that want to change it, what is it that you would say to them? Um, I would say um, definitely be active and go after trying to change. Do not give in to fear um, because it's always that fear factor that uh, um, they try to uh, trigger to make people uh, really not go after trying to make changes or implement changes. Um, they try to intimidate you that you may lose your job or kicked out of school or so many other things. And I think that first and foremost that we have to remember that everything is in the hands of Allah and we always should remember the ultimate power rests in Allah and to fear no one, no man. Uh, so to always do what is right and to definitely try to implement those changes. But I think that it's very important that we coordinate our efforts. Do not waste time. Um, if you can do something in a group and, and coordinate it well, it's going to be a lot more effective than one individual just being out there. Mm -hmm. And our, you know, as Muslims, um, uh, the community is so important in Islam. And I think that uh, actually we are reaching that level, inshallah, a certain maturity, as you've just said, understanding our possibilities and coming together um, as a group and, and, and trying to be as effective as we can. I, and I think that I think, uh, one, sorry, sorry, just one main thing is that with these laws in the UK or in the US, especially after uh, various incidents have happened, um, that we have seen more and more attacks on Muslims in, in various ways and that we cannot just take it yeah. and lie down and be silent because it will just get worse. 100%. It will definitely just get worse. And, and I think the, the most pertinent thing you just mentioned is, is that fear factor. Um, when 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 me and Hasib were discussing uh, your case, uh, it's a bit surreal because mm -hmm. you, you were in prison just like last week, and we were, yeah. I was talking on the phone to him about this. I was actually in the states. Um, oh, okay. And and I was obviously quite cautious because I'm traveling and we're r raising awareness about 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 your situation, and and, right. and and naturally I'm thinking, what if I I get stopped and and a similar thing happens to me? Hasib was loving it because we would have had a double story then. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there you can see. yeah, so so he he was kind of silently praying for that, I think. But um, would have made a good podcast. It would have made it. This would have been a brilliant one. We would have been like soulmates or God knows. Anyways, um, there you go. But, but it, it's I think that's the issue that a lot of people are scared to act when it comes to to, to social causes and and to kind of speak out against oppression and against authority in that way for fear of of essentially this. Essentially, you know what's happened to you can, as I said, happen to anyone, and and the laws give governments that reason to do that so a lot of people kick into survival mode where they're they're happy with their nine right. to five and they don't want to exactly. take the risk like what why would i i've got a good life here why would i want to rock the boat and potentially get arrested for for doing nothing obviously illegal but just for, for being outspoken right and so the thing is is that we ask ourselves uh um as Muslims, are we responsible for each other or do we just close our eyes? Something like this happens to someone or, 
are even worse um, because of possibly losing um, our job or whatever we're doing, our status in the overall society. Do we just keep silent? Because remember, I mean, as Muslims, we should not oppress nor be a part of oppression. So if you do not speak out against oppression and you see it and you just act like it's, you know, it doesn't exist. I mean, are you becoming a part of it? Are you just going to give the stamp of approval? Then uh, where does does Allah figure in all of this? I, I think that's what we end up forgetting. I think a lot of times, especially, let me just say, for immigrant Muslims, I mean, I, I do understand first-generation immigrant Muslims, you know, they're coming to these countries and, seek, and seeking that better life and all this. And, you know, you got to work hard, you got to study hard and blah, 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 don't rock the boat. And a lot of times the first-generation immigrant Muslims have been very problematic and actually, you know, just trying to work with other Muslims and getting anything done because, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not yeah. knocking anyone, I'm just, you know, giving an analysis, but, but they're kids. And then the, the third generation, it's, it's very different. I mean, they're natives now. Mm-hmm. They're part of that land. They understand that if they do not act next time, they could be the ones mm-hmm. that are picked up. Um, there is no stopping it. If you don't stand in front of oppression, the oppression is just going to spread. Yeah. So we have to stand up and try to stop it. And I think this is key. And we can. And we absolutely can and must. Well, with, with people like you, inshallah, like, you know, being involved and, and, and giving a voice to the voiceless, essentially, um, you know, I'm confident that the future is bright. Um, inshallah. And, and we re- really wish you all the best in your future. And hopefully you can, like, take the next couple of weeks off Um just relaxing, yes, recuperating, I a, and I need a vacation from this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. not to uh, Iran for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, actually, Iran is actually the vacation oh, spot. I can relate. Yeah, I can relate. Um, but no, yeah, for sure. and let me just tell you guys at Muslim Vibe, you're doing great work. Thank I, you I so do much. follow really your work. You're doing that. a great job. Okay. Thank you. Very good. Really appreciate that. And, and uh, again, th- thank you for for taking the time to speak to us. Um, I, I I feel like everyone likes to do all the all the all the big stuff connecting with Al Jazeera and whoever else, but then when it comes to that, the community stuff sometimes kind of le- gets left by the wayside. So we we appreciate the fact that you you took the time out to to speak with us and connect with our audience, and hopefully a lot of people no. that obviously worked and campaigned um, to to I guess get more information on on what's going on and, and help to facilitate your release um, or at least try to. So we really appreciate that on behalf of our audience as well. Thank uh, it's, you. It's been my pleasure. And again, I just want to thank everybody who participated in this campaign um, for all of their efforts. And just stay on. It's not over yet. We're, we've just begun. Inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you. More power to you, Sister Mozia. Thank you so much. So that was quite powerful. Yeah, I, I honestly, I've I, like her her mentality was she was so calm, so calm and positive, and and I liked how the constant thread throughout everything was was God, mm. where she's talking about you know it, it's all up to God, God was with me, like mm. you know, and that's like I really like that story of the the chaplain. You said God is everywhere. Yeah, I feel like that was like a deep line from like a movie or something. You know, cause it, <laughs> it's like because perhaps like hearing that back, you know, in that time of like. You know, you're desperately trying to seek the direction um, for Kibla. Yeah. And obviously, that's just, these are all just metaphors, right? Maybe I'm just kind of like over-dramatizing it I in my head. But it's, it's, I don't know, it's just like, it's nice that, you know, sometimes we, we all forget to pray and it's like there's nothing important happening in life. 
um, or sometimes we'll forget to pray because there's so many like interesting things happening but like you're in that situation and, and it's probably more convenient for you to not pray but to make sure that you remember it I found I think that's really really inspirational yeah but yeah I, I think we're, we're we're lucky to be able to speak to her um, and she's yeah she's been through a lot in the yeah. last couple of weeks yeah. but but still again like just the overwhelming thing was she was so positive and, and yeah. you know one thing that I think really helps uh, as well is the fact that obviously she's got an experience in journalism right so she's documented the oppression of black people in America and mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter and stuff and obviously as part of that you would learn the FBI tactics of intimidation and things like that so if anything it just proves to show that that statement that knowledge is power yeah really is so important that once you have that knowledge and you're put in that situation you're able to kind of like resist and you're still able to have maintain like your dignity and uh you know yeah you know what i mean right no no of course um but you didn't get arrested in america i didn't get arrested which was good but that would have us a lot of views listen this is the first time i flew into america and flew out without being stopped uh, although I did, I was forced to miss a flight because they had to do a secondary security check on me. That's just classic mo American Muslim stuff. That was, yeah. Um, anyways, that, that's, <laughs> I think we should probably end it there. That's Thank a separate podcast. That's a separate podcast, definitely. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of the Muslim vibe, um, as I mentioned in the last podcast, we are growing and expanding in 2019. Um, and to do that, we rely in part on, on support and donations from our audience. So anything, uh, you know, as, as little an amount as you're able to give would be absolutely amazing. Um, on our website, if you go on themuslimvibe.com forward slash support, you can set up a monthly for five, ten pounds, thousand pounds. We're not going to say no. Um, but, but please do that and, and please visit our website and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. And also give us a five star rating. Uh, I've got nothing much else to add to that other than that 2019 is an exciting year. Inshallah. Um, yeah. A lot of good content coming out this year. Uh, I'm going to be speaking to more and more interesting people on the podcast. Uh, not going to give any names away just yet, but yeah, definitely stay tuned. Um, guys, it's really, really important that you help us grow. Um, so please do like share our podcast with family and friends and leave reviews and five star ratings and all that kind of stuff wherever you're listening to it. Um, it will just really help us grow. Um, and I think if you are listening to this part of the podcast, then you're probably enjoying it, which is a good sign. Um, so yeah, definitely share it with other people. Um, I'm going to sign up now because otherwise it's going to go on for a very long time. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.